We are the sacred collective. All are respected. All are heard. All are welcomed. Join us. Welcome to the Sacred Collective, everyone. This is your host, Brian Odland. I'm here with Ashley Flieger. Um, I'm excited for this interview um, for many reasons, as you'll probably understand and hear why. Um, Ashley and I met, I don't know, probably around a month ago, I think, on Instagram. And I think you reached out first, but then it was just this text exchange that we had and it was just, I don't know, kind of about faith, deconstruction, atheism, and it was just like a fun, lively conversation. And after a couple of days of talking back and forth, I was like, hey, why don't I have you on our podcast? It's pretty cool. And you agreed. So I'm very thankful. So I'm going to let you take it away, Ashley. Um, I just kind of tell in a nutshell, however short or long you want to. I know you said you're an open book of just kind of like your background of your faith um, and then where you're at currently. I might take a little time, but that's fine. Unpack however much you want to. Okay. Um, hi, I'm Ashley. And um, well, I currently live in Ohio. I'm from Perrysburg, Ohio originally, and I had gotten involved in various youth groups all throughout junior high and high school, um, all by myself. Um, my mom had taken me to an Assemblies of God church when I was about five years old, and we stopped going when I was about eight because there was a church split. And uh, after that, the rest of my family, they didn't really partake anymore that much. I mean, my mom would occasionally come, but I started going to youth groups, to other Assemblies of God youth groups there in town. And there was, there was quite a few of them and I had friends, you know, all throughout there. And then around the time that I was 18, I had attended an open Bible church and open Bible is a very similar denomination to assemblies of God. It derived out of four square churches. So it's, you know, charismatic, fundamentalist, evangelical, all of that. And so I went to that church for a very short period of time, and there was a group that came through called Master's Commission, and um, I know a lot of people have heard of Master's Commission. It's a discipleship program where you basically take Bible classes. Um, I took it through uh, Instay, uh, which is really similar to what Assemblies of God uses called Berean, and it can be facilitated at, through the church. So uh, I, they, you do that, and then you also travel. You basically do a bunch of missions, and you travel around from church to church. Well, we did across the country for the, most of the year, and at the end, we did an international missions trip, missions trip every year at the very end. But basically, the goal was to get other, quote-unquote, disciples, and so when we would travel, we would recruit others to join for the next year. And Master's Commission is very intense. It's kind of like a Christian boot camp. It's really similar to 
teen challenge, uh, things like that. If you, I'm sure that um, probably some of your listeners are familiar with. There's teen challenge. Uh, what is the other one? Like teen mania? Is teen that mania. what it's called? Yeah, I had an ex mania. Yeah, I had an ex girlfriend that did teen mania, and uh, yeah, that was intense. Yeah, it's super intense. Well, uh, we had a master's commission group come in and travel into that church, and it was an open Bible church. That was the one that was in uh, Michigan, and that was where I had gone for my very first year. So I decided to go into master's commission, and that was my segue into open Bible churches. And because that was the third master's commission based out of open Bible churches, there was one in Oregon. I say Oregon. They always corrected me <laughs> and said it was Oregon. But then there was one in Des Moines, Iowa, where I eventually ended up. I did a year in Michigan. And then I, I after uh, when I went for my second year and on, I went to Des Moines, Iowa. And so I went for my second year in Des Moines, Iowa. And then I was an intern. And then I got engaged to the assistant director. And then we became directors. And then Master's Commission kind of started to fizzle out a little bit at the church, and we became staff pastors. So we were assistant pastors at the church. And so I was involved in full-time ministry between Master's Commission and being on staff at the church for a total of nine years. So I had gotten my degree through INSTE that I mentioned earlier, and I I finished it up. I, I I had about two semesters left, and I finished those last two semesters the last year or so that I was there, and that was when my deconstruction started to happen because I was learning more about the Bible and the theology of it all and the history, and that was what started opening my eyes up, and so my deconstruction started about year eight. We, I was, we were actually assistant pastors for, I think the timeline was about four years and I was involved in master's commission for about five. So, uh, it was about year eight. So there, I lived in Iowa there attending the church, being a part of full-time ministry alongside my now ex-husband for about a year while I was becoming skeptical as I kept reading more. And I remember one of the big things that really, really started to make me question is I, there was a pastor that left open Bible churches and he was a much older man. I mean, he was probably in his seventies, maybe even eighties possibly. And he had a complete change of mind about being a part of open Bible and the theology. And he was talking a lot on his Facebook and in a book that he had written about hell and, you know, the four meanings of hell, you know, there's you know, the word Tartarus, Shul, and, uh, you know, Gehenna and oh, what's the other one. There's a fourth one. And so I would get, I would engage in a lot of conversations with him. He left open Bible churches. And I would talk to him a lot on Facebook and he started to really make me think I, he never really came straight out and said he was an atheist or anything, but he left open Bible churches to become a part of the universalist Unitarian churches, mm -hmm. the UU. And so 
at the time, I didn't really know that 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 kind of congregation or society, church, however you want to word that, was kind of a melting pot of a lot of different types of beliefs and people, you know, that you could have atheists, but you could have believers all mixed in, and that it was a pretty common theme that a lot of them didn't believe in an actual hell. And so that whole thing kind of got me thinking, and I started looking further, and then I started listening to podcasts and debates. I, I listened to this uh, Dr. Bart Ehrman mm-hmm. one. And that was also around the time that Bill Nye and Ken Ham had their debate. Oh, I remember and, that. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. And it was really good. And it was like, you know, as a kid growing up and watching Bill Nye, I'm sure you did too. Oh, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. he's awesome. And so everything he was saying made sense. And everything Ken Ham said didn't make sense. And there was all these things that I never thought of. I was always only surrounded by people that were Christians and believed the same way I did. And then things started to kind of turn sour a little bit there at the end. And the church board, the senior pastor and the regional central region board, they had kind of, gotten really kind of controlling over me. They really, uh, my husband had found out that I was starting to question my faith and that I was listening to, I was, oh, I was listening to a lot of, um, the thinking atheist podcast with Seth Andrews and, um, they all became very worried about me and I was required to go through professional counseling and, you know, meeting up with, you know, having all these meetings with, senior pastor and central region board and all this kind of stuff to check on my progress. And it became very, very, very controlling and almost Mm -hmm. like misogynistic at the end. And I felt a need to kind of escape. So I don't know. My, my story feels a lot different than a lot of other people that were in full-time ministry or clergy than mine, because for one, I didn't grow up with my parents forcing me to go or bringing me up into that religion. My mom took me for a short three years, but I mean, it was all me. It was all my decision. And then I don't know. And then when I was, when I left and I left the whole thing, it wasn't like this heartbreaking experience as much as it was for everyone else. Like I wanted to get out of there because of how toxic it got. And it was something I hadn't recognized for a while. And I kind of embraced this whole, like, as a woman, you submit, even as leadership, you know, I was still had men over me. And there were, there were some other very kind of traumatic things that happened, but I, I don't really want to go into that. Um, yeah, that's fine. Because it's, um, it kind of, it kind of puts me into a, a, really depressed mood for quite a while. I had, I've only been on one other podcast and I kind of shared some of that stuff and it kind of was really difficult to have that information out there, but maybe one day I'll feel comfortable sharing that. But basically um, I had to, I had to leave and I had to kind of cut off my connection with 
that church and all of those people for my safety, but especially my daughter's safety. Mm-hmm. And I, over the years, have just really, even even on the small scale, notice more and more as the years go on how toxic religion is. I consider myself an atheist now. And even beyond that, I consider myself an anti-theist. I consider myself agnostic, atheist, and anti-theist all in one, basically. Mm-hmm. I've moved on from, you know, back then, about eight years ago is when I left, 2013. And... So it was September of 2013. So it's coming up on eight years. And around that time, I would I was only comfortable with saying I'm I'm feeling kind of skeptical about the doctrine. And then I started to feel comfortable saying, you know, I feel like I'm an agnostic atheist. I don't know, and I don't see any proof. Therefore, I kind of I deny it. Mm-hmm. And then as the years have gone on, I've moved on to this is incredibly toxic. It's you know it. It condones oppression on women and certain groups of people, children, you know, it condones slavery and incest and rape, and it doesn't condone all of this love that Christians claim. And if I feel like if people really actually knew their doctrine and knew what their theology actually condones, they would be probably as like disgusted by it mm-hmm. maybe as I am that's kind of the that's kind of where I'm at I kind of completely oppose it and I'm almost kind of disgusted with religion and I know that probably a lot of your listeners probably aren't on that same page but that is that is where I am at I absolutely despise pretty much all religion you know Muslim is Islam it's that's horrible too. Okay. Yeah. Horrible for women. Yeah. And I mean, for, uh, we have a wide swath of people who listen, um, people who are atheistic as yourself, Christian, progressive, queer, you know, everything in between. So you'd be surprised at how many people, you know, listen, cause our tagline, which I had texted you a while back is, you know, all are welcome, all are heard. So we've had, like my brother was on the podcast and he's a Baptist minister and, you know, we've had people who, like yourself, atheists. We've had queer people, queer people who are Christian, queer people who are atheists. So, I, I why I reached out too is because I'm I'm still a professing Christian, but through our conversations, which we'll get into deeper, is I'm I would say I'm not like most Christians because I am definitely skeptical, definitely have agnostic leanings. I can't go personally to the atheistic route, such as yourself and others, but I definitely understand why people are atheists. So, but kind of piggybacking, so, and why I think we connected so well um, on Instagram is you said you were in the AG, which is the denomination I grew up in. And it was kind of more forced upon me um, for my family. My mom grew up in a strict Assemblies of God home. Um, her, her grandparents, my mom's grandparents, and I guess my great grandparents converted from a cult to the assemblies of God, which I think is a cult itself. Um, but then my dad grew up, yeah, yeah, my dad grew up a, a strict Lutheran in a small town in South Dakota. 
And then when they got married and moved to the Twin Cities, it was just kind of like, to them, they were like, church is church. We don't really care. We just want our kids to be in church, blah, blah, blah. And I was the typical, like, church kid. I mean, I lived church. Like, I was like eight, nine, ten years old, and I was just a church junkie. I just couldn't get enough of it. It was like this kid service. I was there. We had puppetry. I did puppetry. We, you know, I, I wore my Sunday little suit as a, as a kid in a kid suit. So the whole thing I did. And then I got to high school. Um, and I, if I'm honest with myself, I, even back as far as high school, things started to not make sense to me. And my parents always kind of laugh at me. Um, especially now my mom will be like, I knew you were just this questioning kid when you were younger because you would just ask questions that normal, typical kids your age wouldn't. And I remember in my, in my sanctuary in the church, I grew up in the AG, they had like the Bibles and the pews and like pencils and, you know, like prayer cards and stuff. And of course people were handing, you know, stuff in and I would just be writing notes. Like I would hear the pastor talk and I was maybe 10, 11, 12 and they would be talking about love. They would be talking about your neighbor, that whole thing. And I remember writing down on a note card and giving it to my parents. And I was like, the pastor says we should love our neighbors. And I said, why is everyone in church white? Why is everyone in church predominantly male? Why, you know, where are my, you know, gay and lesbian neighbors? And like my parents were like, who is this kid? You, you know, like what 10 or 11 yeah, year old, yeah what great question well like what 10 or 11 year old thinks that and i would say probably most people don't but it's just that kind of stuff and then when i got into you know youth group more it was the whole purity culture which that i mean that could be you know a 35 hour conversation cuz it's so toxic and terrible and i'm sure we've went through both of that in different ways um oh yeah but then i and then you know i graduated i actually got kicked out of I got kicked out of my high school youth group, if you want to hear about that. <laughs> it, it, I mean, sure. I, I got kicked out of my high school youth group because, you know, growing up in conservative Christianity, that uh, when you talk about sex or sexuality, which Pentecostals, which is what AGs are, um, they can't really talk about sexuality. They can't use words like sex, penis, vagina, because apparently those words you, you just can't say. And I remember we had this like weekend uh, talk where it's like all the the youth pastor and all the male youth leaders were at the church with all the boys, and then the wife and the female youth leaders with all the girls were somewhere else. And so we had this conversation. So Friday night they hopped us up on pizza and Mountain Dew and whatever, and we had game night, whatever. Then Saturday they had this whole talk about sex sexuality and whatever and so there was a lot of kids that are the kids from the youth group brought people who maybe didn't have any kind of faith background or whatever and then they were instilling into these kids just like how like sex like sexuality uh, any kind of pleasure is bad and it's wrong until you're married you know that whole thing and everything inside of me was just like this is bullshit like this isn't like you're these people aren't even in the church and even if they're not in the church that's irrelevant but it's like they were telling these kids like you know uh your body is you know terrible if you you know get an erection thinking about a girl then 
you know, you're sinning and you're doing all this stuff. And they were talking about like masturbation and how that's evil. And like my heart was racing so fast, Ashley, that I was like, I have to say something and I don't care if I get in trouble. And so I kind of just raised my hand and the youth pastor called on me. And I was like, I was like, what you're saying is very hurtful, very toxic, and it's not biblical. And he was like, who are you? And then the youth pastor was maybe right out of college. He was maybe 20 or 21. So he wasn't super older than me. And I was like, masturbation is not a sin. I was like, there's no word in the Bible. Does it say that if you masturbate, then this is a terrible thing. And I was like, it's a normal part of human development. Like that, that is a normal thing for men and women to do. I said, even animals in nature masturbate. And he it's just crazy that you were saying that at that age. Yeah. <laughs> That's like and, something I would say now that I'm just now realizing. And yeah. And I'm not this typical, I would say I was not the typical like church kid. Cause I was when I was younger, but then when I, and my parents instilled me to have like a critical mind to, you know, don't believe something just because it's told to you, but just kind of question it and be like, Hey, this doesn't make sense. And because it doesn't make sense, you know, push, push a little bit like hey why are you coming up with this why are you saying this and i remember the youth pastor kind of said to me afterwards hey like that was really inappropriate uh, you know you kind of usurped my power and all that and i said i did not mean to be disrespectful but i said what you did say was very toxic and was very hurtful to this individual and it was hurtful to all of us who listened to it and I, and I remember I said to this youth pastor, because we were pretty close, I said, I've masturbated before. Does that make me a sinner? Does that make me a terrible person? He's like, yeah. And I was like, and I looked at him and I said, bullshit, because I know you probably did that too. And he just glared at me and he was like, well, I, I, and he just got so mad. And he was like, well, you can't come back to the youth group. I'm like, fine. I was like, I don't need you or this youth group in, in order for me to understand God or whatever. And then I kind of... I think if I'm truthful with myself, that that whole issue and that conversation really made me start deconstructing into high gear, if I can track it back that far. And I'm almost 38. So that's, you know, over 20 years ago that that happened. And I always kind of joke with people. I'm like, I started deconstruction, deconstructing before the, the word it became popular or cool, even though people have been de- deconstructing for millennia. But then, yeah, but then I went to North Central University, which here in Minneapolis, it's one of the big AG schools in the country. And I mean, it's where I met my wife. We were both raised in that tradition, but we were both far, 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 far from that. I mean, the same thing. I almost went to Southeastern. Yep, yep. I remember that. I had one of my professors who came from Southeastern to teach at North Central. And I, I met a lot of great friends at North Central Obviously, like I said, I met my wife, but I met a lot of just terrible people there, and it really, it really um, put my my deconstruction into high gear because I remember I was in a New Testament class, and I remember, and most of the professors who were there were just pastors, kind of, you know, moonlighting as a professor, and. I remember one person was talking about hell, and he was just talking all about Revelation and. I literally looked at him and I was like, you do know the book of Revelation is not supposed to be taken literally, it's metaphorically. And he was like, how do you know? And I was like, scholars have debated this for millennia and like, it is not supposed to be what happened. I said, if you believe in a literal antichrist, if you believe in like the whore of Babylon, if you believe in all this shit, 
I was like, well, I mean, I didn't say shit, but <laughs> you get the gist. And, and and I was just like, this stuff is not supposed to be taken literal for us. And I said, when you do that, that is a disservice. And he was just like, well, you're wrong, da, da, da. And so I think I really started punting the idea of hell for like even back in college. And it really, it solidified it to me when my daughter was born almost four years ago. She'll be four in like a week. And, and I remember saying to my mom and my brother and obviously their parents as well. And I said to them, would do you like, is there any, and I said to my mom, I said, is there anything that my brother and I could do to make you love me any less? And she's like, well, absolutely not. I said, I might, if I do something stupid, I commit a crime or do whatever, and have to go to jail or do whatever, I said, you would still love me, right? Yeah, yeah, I would. And I said, I would have to do the time for the crime. And she's like, well, right. And then I said, isn't it interesting that so many Christians believe in a loving God that sends billions of people to hell because you don't believe in him in the right way? And I said, that is not a loving idea of God that so many Christians believe in. And she was like, well, what are you trying to say? And I was like, I'm trying to say I don't believe in a hell. And, and, and if there is a God, I don't think that God that you believe in is the same God I believe in. And she was like, well, I think you're wrong. And I was like, no. I said, my daughter does a lot of stupid stuff as a four-year-old. But I look at her and I was like, there's nothing. When I look at her, I'm like, there's nothing you could do, Ava, that is going to make me love you any less as a parent. And even if you did something boneheaded and dumb and stupid, I'm not going to reject you, but yet there's so much of pastors and people in Christianity that's like, well, you don't believe in Jesus this way that we're telling you to, so off to hell for all of eternity. And it's just, I don't know, that's just a bullshit concept to me that scares people. And I, I was texting you the other day about that Bart Ehrman book that I was reading about heaven and hell, and that book was just fantastic because he was like, he pretty much in layman's terms, he was like, this isn't real. Like, we made this up. We made it up to scare people. We made it up because we're afraid of just living life. And I think that's, like, how I view my life right now as someone who... I And, like, and like what I've told you, and I guess, you know, you told me where you stand, you know, as an anti-theist and against religion. And I told... my Me, myself, if I could describe myself in, like, a thesis statement, it would be, I believe in the teachings of Jesus whether I believe in the resurrection, whatever, that's still skeptical and, and up for debate. But I believe in the teachings of Jesus because I think they can transcend time. And I think really what his meaning was is what he said. But I'm agnostic in the way is I don't really care about all the dogmas. I don't really care about the theology. I don't care if people are like, oh, I, you know, the Eucharist or you have to be baptized or you know, all these things. I'm just like, I don't care because that doesn't affect me. Um, and maybe it could affect me, but it's just, I don't want to get into those debates, even though I have a lot of family and friends who would die on that hill, would die on abortion and gay rights and whatever. But I just, I, I like, I want to say to people like Jesus was a badass, but yet the church in a way, this makes sense, like neutered, the, the the like subversiveness that Jesus was and he was killed by the religious people and he was killed by a you know a religious and political empire and we 
in our churches all across the country and the world teach just this frou-frou, you know, sometimes God can be loving, but then God can also be just this dictator warlord, which I feel like a lot of churches in America, especially evangelicalism, preach. So there's that. <laughs> what are your, I mean, like speaking of Bart, Dr. Bart Ehrman, um, what are your, or have you heard this before, but what are your thoughts on that fact that he says that there is no evidence of Jesus or the whole Christian century by any Greek or Roman historian? What book did he say that one in? Because I've only read a few. I believe it's Did Jesus Exist? Did Jesus Exist? Yeah, and I mean, I've heard that argument, and I mean, I've heard, and, and my master's degree that I did was in Christian thought, which was, it's a stupid name of a degree, but it was supposed to be being an apologist, so uh, defending the faith, and I I just hate that churchy language. But so we've studied, we studied like atheistic thought, we studied like how the Greeks and the Romans looked upon Christianity and yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, I, I, the one thing I would push back on Bart Ehrman, it would be, is like, I forget what book it was in. It was a long time ago, but like they've, they found back, um, archeologists have found, this was even maybe back in like the seventies, maybe sixties, like in Israel. So geographically the area where Jesus was supposed to have existed and they actually found like a piece of wood and bone fragment and a nail in this person's foot. And they obviously they weren't saying it's Jesus, but they were saying this gives some sort of cre- like credence that crucifixion was something that these people practiced long, long ago. And I would say, yeah, there is a lot of non Well, that was a common way of, that was a common punishment right it's a common form of death at that time too right Right. crucifixion was um yeah a lot of people were crucified whether they were even religious or not but and on a cross right right um especially if they were christian i'm sure they killed people other ways too if they were in other religions but um yeah i mean i i mean you kind of stumped me there which is fine and great but i think for me, there is there isn't a lot of history, especially in the Greek, about that. And I will say this: reading, there's actually none. <laughs> yeah, well, Bart Bart Ehrman, what he said in this book on heaven and hell was just, and this is why I've told you in our text exchange that I'm very skeptical in a lot of things in the Bible because so often you, I've heard Christians especially even close family and friends, well, this this awesome news of Jesus, this awesome news of the Bible, da-da-da-da-da. Um, you know, it was like this word of God, it was inspired, the Holy Spirit came down. And then when you read books by like Bart, and not even like by, you know, scholars like him, but even a lot of, you know, even evangelical people, uh, pastors will say, yeah, the, the Bible was highly influenced by other religions. It was highly influenced by um, 
Hellenistic thought. It was highly influenced by the early Greek philosophers, about Plato and Socrates and all that. And you say that to Christians, a lot of Christians, and they're like, no, no, this, this, this can't be. And it's like the Epic of Gilgamesh, if you've ever heard of the Epic of Gilgamesh, like that, that, no. the Epic of Gilgamesh was a Babylonian creation story um, that predates the Christian story or the Jewish story found in Genesis by at least a thousand years. And you and you tell that to Christians, and they're like, "No, no, that simply can't be." And I'm thinking, well, if other religions or other faith groups, non-believers in God, but if they even like a thousand years before, you know, Christ came on the scene, was believing in that, maybe Christianity doesn't have the stranglehold on certain things like they think they do, and that just kind of made me start thinking like. And like you've you've said you've heard me um, on some of the podcasts that I've done, like talk about my openness of like I don't like that portion of scripture. I don't like that scripture verse. I don't whatever. And I'm and it's truthful with that because there's I think a lot of stuff in scripture where I'm like that's bullshit. Or like when it talks about slavery, I'm like why is this in the scripture? This is terrible. When it talks about how women were treated in the New Testament, it's just deplorable. I'm like why is this in here? And so I look at that stuff and, you know, you hear the whole thing. Well, it's trying to prove a point. It's trying to say this. It's trying to say that. And I'm like, I don't like that. And I try to focus on when I preach is talking about Jesus. Not I know that all that other shit is in there, but I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to give it power. I don't want to give it, you know, any more stuff that it has been over the, over the centuries. And so... I don't know. I, I'm very, I'm very skeptical. That's the word. I, I, if I could say, I'm, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus's teachings. I try to live that out, but I'm highly, highly skeptical, doubtful, and and agnostic on a lot of things. If that makes sense, I'm kind of a an enigma when it comes about my own faith. To me, that almost kind of makes you like I would for me, I would kind of put you in a category of a harmless Christian then, because you're, you're recognizing like morally what's right and wrong. And which is odd because normally that conversation is usually the other way around where, you know, the Christian is wondering how the atheist can have morals. And that's one of those, one of those debates with that but it's fun it's funny you know like i just caught myself saying that that it's like that's cool that you can recognize that and dismiss it even though it's a part of the doctrine but i also wanted to say something earlier and it was kind of going off of what i was saying about how my upbringing and involvement in the church is different than somebody who grew up in it like you Mm -hmm. And you were talking about how you would question all of those things, even at a younger age. And that's kind of like exactly what I was referring to. I went all of that time. I never questioned anything. I never bat an eyelash. I literally went along with the flow. And even some of the most insane stuff, I was just like, yeah, this is just what it is. (laughs) This is what we got to follow. And, and then And then it was somewhere, it was around the time that Obama and Romney were running for president. And that was around that same time, that last year that I was there. And 
So there were a lot of, you know, how like elections, they can bring up a lot of those important topics such as, you know, like racism and how the LGBTQ community is treated and, you know, equality for people and all that kind of stuff. And well, the senior pastor, he was, he was really one, all of us on board voting for the same person. He's like, we're all voting for Romney. And I was like, but I like Obama. And, (laughs) you know, and then that kind of started to cause some problems because we would actually start having conversations about things. And I was like, so wait, so how, how would you feel? What if somebody came in here and they had a degree in Bible and theology or something and they were uh, homosexual and they wanted to be a part of leadership? And then they said, no, we wouldn't allow it. We would allow them to come to the church, but they couldn't be on leadership. And I was like, why? So because I like a man, I'm better than they are. I'm more qualified. And that was like, that was, so that was like the same thing for me. Like some of the things that I couldn't get on board with morally, like that's where it started really rubbing me the wrong way. And that's kind of where I was really having some complications because I couldn't get on board with thinking that any of that was wrong. Yeah. Um, I do want to say thank you for calling me a harmless Christian. I, I would take that as a compliment. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's how I would perceive it. Yeah, no. And, and because I, and I tell people all the time, I said, and I don't even like, cause I posted on Instagram a while back that does anybody have a problem with the word Christian, I don't. I don't even like that title because that's something that was described. People who follow Jesus, you know, oh, you follow this Christ, so you must be a Christian. And it's like when Jesus's teachings were there, and when he died, you know, people were like, it was a follower of the way because it was a. It, and I tell people, Jesus never came to start a religion. He's even said that he came to start a new way of envisioning life. And to and if you envision, if you follow this way, this teaching of Jesus, then that that you know was more of a philosophy. And when people are like, and I actually had a our friend who a friend of our podcast, we've had him on, Neil. He's in uh, Ireland. Me and him and um, our friend um, Caleb, who actually is our producer of this podcast, we we talked about like just the sheer craziness of the word eternity. And I could, to be brutally honest, like I, I'm scared of the word eternity because when people are like, "Oh, you're going to be in heaven for eternity," I don't want that. Like, I don't want eternity. And just and and I've said that to my wife. I'm like, the idea of someone going to hell or heaven. I mean, I don't believe in hell, but if if someone we as human beings, we don't even know what a year is going to be like from now. We don't even know what ten or twenty years are going to be like from now. But to say, oh, you're going to be with Jesus for all of eternity, that doesn't give me a sense of joy and excitement. It gives me a a dread. It gives me like, oh my gosh, like I, I like, cause things in my life, like I can choose to be married to my wife. I can choose to have the job that I have. I can choose where I want to live all these things, but I don't have a choice in eternity. And, and like being forced to worship a God for all of eternity. I'm just like, is this really what Jesus preached or is it what people thought of? 
And the one thing that Bart Ehrman, going back to that book, what he said was a lot of what was attributed to Jesus and to a lot of what was attributed to these books of the Bible, especially the apocalyptic stuff like in Revelation, was was put on by people 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years after the fact when Jesus was on the scene. And so to me, I was like, that doesn't hold validity because if... If I was Jesus and I had these teachings and then I was telling my disciples or my followers this and then somebody 200 years down the road was like, oh, I heard stories about stories about stories about this person and then they took that as factual and then churches and this religion hundreds or thousands of years later are still teaching it. To me, how does that not just scream not inspired, not infallible, maybe not even truthful? But I look at at myself as a harmless Christian, and and is like I believe I try because like I just preached a sermon on like Jesus was being subversive, like literally everything that the empire and the religious people of the day believed in, Jesus didn't believe in, and he cared about women, he cared about children, he cared about the poor people, he cared about you know, the, the left out and it's no one preaches on that anymore. Cause we preach on, you know, Oh, God wants to bless you. God wants to get you rich. God wants you to be in eternity with him. And I was like, I don't think any of that stuff is really what Jesus taught. I think what Jesus taught was love your neighbors. Doesn't matter who your neighbor is, love them and accept them. You know, if your neighbor is gay, love them. If your neighbor is black, love them. If your neighbor is part of another religion or no religion, love them. And that is where my heart is. And then you look at so many churches and so many people of faith and they don't do that. So I can honestly say like, I'm sorry and and it sucks of what you went through. And I'm just sorry that so many Christians were assholes to you. I mean, lack of a better word or phrase. I mean, they were just assholes. And I'm just wanting to, and I'm the kind of person that's like, I want to have a conversation with anybody and everyone, not to apologize for Christianity or for Christians, because I don't feel like I have to do that, but just to say, like, I'm sorry that so many people were so unloving in the way that Christ meant for people to be loved, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, and I guess I guess one thing I do want to say is that I didn't leave because I was hurt. Um, the hurt came kind of afterwards a little bit for the most part. Okay. There was a little bit beforehand, but for the most part, I began questioning because more for logical reasons, you know, what I, the contradictions I was seeing in the scripture and things like that, um, and then all of the hurt kind of came afterwards when I was questioning and they didn't like that. And that's kind of when everything went awry a little bit. So, um, I do, I, I do not really believe that all Christians or anything like that, like I, I don't are horrible and mean or anything like that because there were a lot of very, um, special people to me that were there and I did leave very abruptly, but, um, there were a lot of very wonderful people that I loved a lot there. And, um, looking back at 
sad, you know, that I'm never going to see some of those people again, but I didn't leave because of the hurt. That was just kind of a result of it. Okay. Um, but also I wanted to say, I just, I was thinking about it when you were talking about that other stuff too. When I was a Christian and I was, you know, preaching that stuff, I was preaching a lot of that same stuff that you are too. I was really kind of, um, kind of captivated by the idea of Jesus loving the outcast and the wallflower and using the least of the least. And that's why I felt like I identified with it. I felt like, you know, the concept of him trying to cross cultural barriers, you know, like with the Samaritan woman and stuff like that. I, those were things that I always loved and kind of spoke on back then because I do think that that is, I mean, whether you take it literally or not, I think that that is a great concept. Mm-hmm. And so I can see why you would hang out a little bit more in the New Testament than you would in the Old Testament. Yeah, not, um, a, not a big fan think, of the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I guess I, I guess that's one thing that I kind of just wanted to, like, maybe set straight a little bit because a lot of the time— um, that is something that you typically hear from mm-hmm. Christians or people like, you know, after I've left, they want to apologize for the hurt. And I guess in my eyes, the hurt is there because the scripture condones it. It, it breeds the opportunity for certain people or certain types of situations to happen because it can be justified in the name of God. Mm-hmm. And, that's where I began began to have a problem because it was a possibility. Yeah, thank you for that clarification. Uh, never want to put words in or I words in people's mouth. Oh no, you mouth. totally didn't. Yeah, um, and I'll be you know I'll be honest, and I've said this to um, my wife, and even since we, you know we've been almost married eleven years, and I'm I'm obviously not the same kind of person or Christian that I was even 10 or 11 years ago. And I've told her like more or less, I'm like, what would you do if I said I was an atheist? And she was like, well, I would still love you. And you know, nothing would change. Like why, why would I love you any less if you were an atheist? And you know, cause it's like our families are both very religious. And, and so I have that openness and, and, and I think I've kind of made that clear in, in, in our like Instagram text messages is I'm skeptical on a lot of things. I have doubts on a lot of things, but there's just something inside me that can't shake Jesus. If that makes sense. Um, and that's just, I hear that so many times. I totally get where you're coming from. And that, and, and so I tell people like, do I believe in the teachings and the message of Jesus? Yes. And, and the people in my orbit, like if you look on my Instagram, it's ex-evangelicals, it's atheists, it's, you know, spiritually, but not religious people. It's, it's everything across the board. And I like, I'll interact with people and I, you know, and it's like, yeah, I don't believe in hell. I believe being queer or trans any, it's fine. I believe Jesus it loves and accepts everyone. I don't believe in hell. I don't, know if there's really an eternity. So it's like I've deconstructed all these things. And sometimes people will ask me, well, then why do you even believe in Jesus? And I was like, if I had to throw everything in the Bible away 
and everything in religion away, I would gladly throw that in the trash can, light it on fire, and walk away from it. But there's just, I don't know, there's just something about the teachings of Jesus. And whether Jesus was a real person or not, to me, that's not even what I'm even obsessed about. But there's something that I just can't walk away from. And I don't know if that was part of just because it's been instilled in me since I was like an infant or, and I'm afraid to walk away from it, but I, there's just something that brings me back to, to this central message of Jesus. And I'm not, I'm never a person that's about converting people. That's never in my vocab. I'm never like, Oh, I'm going to try to convert people who don't believe in Jesus, blah, 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 blah. It's just like, I want to tell people that I think Jesus's teachings are awesome, are transformative, are badass, are subversive, and just let it be. And I feel like people just, and I'm appreciative that you and I are having this conversation, but I feel like so many conversations like ours just don't happen at all. Um, Mm -hmm. Just because people are like, yeah, you know, our theologies, you know, disagree. And you were probably taught doing master's commission or being in the church, like, Christians and atheists can't be friends, you know, you just can't do that, and you have to be yoked and, and all that, and I just want to punt all that away to just say, like, can't we all just be friendly with one another and love one another, whether it's about Jesus or not, but just trying to be friends with people, and I, you know, I've told my coworkers, I'm like, they're like, oh, you're a pastor, I can't swear around you, and I can't do this, and I'm like, What? I swear, I swear at work, and I'm just like, I just want to be a loving person to anyone that I meet, even my enemies. Maybe that's because of Jesus. Maybe that's not because of Jesus, but I just hold to those teachings of Jesus because I just, uh, if I'm honest with myself, Ashley, I just, I don't know. Right now in my life, I just can't walk away from that. However, I'm skeptical about everything else, if that makes sense. Because it makes sense to me, but I don't know if that makes sense to other people. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense to me. I, it took me a while to shake it. And I didn't have the, you know, family and community and stuff that you probably have that are very ingrained in church. I I was out there with my, he's my now ex-husband, which is great, you know, that your wife is so supportive. I wanted to say that, that she says that she would still love you even if you chose to completely ixnay the whole faith you know my my that was not my situation he didn't want to hear anything at all and i mean we just fizzled out we got a divorce i left you know and i mean it's a good thing now you know i I mean it's years later and Mm -hmm. it ended up being a great thing but um you know, it's sometimes it's kind of like 50, 50, you know, sometimes when somebody leaves the ministry, a pastor or something, you see, you see it half and half. Sometimes the wives come along mm-hmm. or the husbands, you know, um, and then a lot of the times they don't, but, um, I always think it's really great when they stick together like that. Um, oh, I do too. but, um, I, I know, I, I totally know where you're coming from. I had a really hard time shaking a lot of things. I had a really, really hard time shaking prayer and worship. That was really hard for me um, and the community of it. Um, I didn't have nearly as much of a fear of hell or not going to heaven, I think, maybe as some other people maybe experienced because I did not have somebody drilling that in my head growing up. And I was kind of able to dismiss it. 
And as time went on too, and I started to learn a little bit more about science and like maybe, you know, like, you know, how I was saying that I had read the grand design or I was starting to read the grand design by Stephen Hawking. And then just over the last few years, just trying to understand what is outside of our planet more than focusing on like maybe what my purpose here is on earth and kind of realizing maybe I don't have a purpose. Maybe I am in this vast, vast, vast universe and I am a insignificant blip in time that is not special. I am not any more special than any of the animals or plants all throughout the earth. I'm just another animal here that should coexist with all the other animals and different types of beings and things like that and live peacefully. And it was just a different concept as a Christian. It's like, you think that all of the land and all the animals are for you, that Mm -hmm. he designed all Mm -hmm. of it for you. And it, I began to realize like how kind of narcissistic that mindset is a little bit, that everything's all about us. This whole universe, all the stars, everything is for us, but kind of not. It's beautiful. It's here and we can appreciate it, but I don't think it's all about us. Yeah. And we're, we're, I, why I appreciate talking to you is I feel like we're a lot, we're like-minded in a lot of things. Um, I just think you, you went and made that logical leap or jump to atheism and for whatever reason I can't do that but a lot like what you just said uh, uh, kind of about is there like purpose this like existential question is like who am I what am I what's the meaning of life or the purpose of life and I, of course I grew up in the church and I was always taught that you know the the we're supposed to kill the animals of the land so we can eat and have sustenance and we're supposed to do this and this and this and I'm always like, well, why? Why are we, kind of like you said, this narcissistic thing where it's like for us, 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 like humans, humans, humans. But, and, and I, and my wife will laugh at me sometimes because like she'll be talking to me or asking me a question. I'm like looking out the window and I'm like deep in thought. And I'm just like looking And just the other day, it was like Tuesday or Wednesday. I was like looking out at like the tree outside my apartment window and it's just this massive tree in our neighbor's yard. And I was just like, that's incredible that that tree started out as like a little tiny seed. And how amazingly beautiful and ornate this tree is and, and how massive it is. And I actually literally, I kid you not, I not even, it's not a prayer. It wasn't anything. And I just like thanked the tree to be like thankful because <laughs> I need, I need this tree to, to live. I need the gases that it produces for me to breathe. And, and I realize, and I don't know who, what you feel about, like, Rob Bell, but, like, he helped me, under, like, kind of de-Christianize a lot of my thinking to be, like, he wrote his last book, which was called Everything is Spiritual, and you could maybe take the word spiritual out, but that, like, how everything in life is interconnected, how humans need animals, animals need humans, we need the grass we need the sun we need the water we need all this stuff we need it and he never talks about god or jesus but it was like this is all interconnected everything is is 
like I, he uses the word spiritual, but you could use the words, take the word spiritual off. And when I read that, it really started making me think like, maybe to me, that is the purpose of life is just to be here, to be in the present moment. And that's actually a very Buddhist kind of way of thinking. But that, that mm-hmm. whether that's a Buddhist thought or not, like, I just, I'm like, I want to appreciate being here. You know, like, I, I want to appreciate my life. I want to appreciate my job. I want to appreciate my wife and my daughter and just live life regardless of what the end goal is going to be. And I, re- I, I remember getting in hot trouble, hot trouble, in deep trouble at school one time in college because I said, uh, we Christians need to realize that what we believe in is a faith. And we don't know if faith is real or not. It's why you have faith. And I said, yeah, you Christians might die and go to heaven. But I said, people also might just die and go to a grave and never wake up. And we have to be cognizant of of the reality of that. And so like, even when I say that, it's like, do I believe in heaven? I don't know. I can honestly say, I don't know, but I'm, I don't worry about that. That's where I'm agnostic meaning. Yeah. Heaven could be a real place, but I'm not really caring about that or I'm obsessed with that. I'm trying to live here in the present moment, the best that I possibly can with the loved ones around me and just appreciating life. Yeah, that's, I mean, you kind of made me think of a couple things. I didn't even, I forgot to say something about this too, by the way, but it's reminding me of it. Well, you mentioned Rob Bell for one thing, and it made me think of the fact that, um, a few things really, but I believe he is in the clergy project along with me. I've never actually talked to him, but um, I didn't even mention that either, that I'm in the clergy project, which is. Uh, like a nonprofit that was made by Dan Barker, Daniel Dennett, uh, Linda Lascola, um, okay, a couple other people I can't remember. And um, well, anyways, they form they they. There's also the Freedom from Religion Foundation, which is for like any ex Christian. They can come there for support. And then uh, Dan Barker also started the you know clergy project, which is for current or former clergy who have lost their faith and uh, it can be discreet. You know, you can, you can have a pseudo name. You can, you know, hide and be an atheist and still be practicing, but have that support. And so you Rob Bell. I remember, I remember watching some of his like videos and stuff back in the day when I was still uh, part of the church and everything. And then when his book came out after he had lost his faith, I can't remember the name of that book, but love Love wins. Yeah, that one. And I had, I got on my nook and I looked at the preview of it. You know, I was reading the first like chapter or so, and I was reading it out loud to, uh, all the church staff. And I was like, wait guys, what, like, what am I, (laughs) I don't think this is about what I, what we think it is. (laughs) I don't think that he's a Christian. And so I and I didn't catch that after a while because I was like, "What's he talking about here?" Well, so um, yeah. Then also that also made me think of all along in the clergy project with me is Dave Warnock, which I think you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm I'm actually wearing his shirt. His I know it's a very nice out shirt. Loud. Yeah, 
a dying out loud shirt and I, I think this one's really cool the artwork on it is really sweet it, it has really uh, cool. he he's in a the hourglass and his arms and legs are disappearing and you mm-hmm. know because he has als and that affects your uh, arms and legs um, eventually unfortunately turns fatal but uh dave is you know going around uh, talking about he's doing his dying out loud tour talking about his diagnosis with ALS as a former pastor you know like myself who lost their faith and talking about what it's like to be dying and not believe in an afterlife and that kind of crazy realization of this is it this is this is the life that we have and there's nothing after this and we need to enjoy what we have here now because this universe is big. You know, we, we don't have uh, to me, this is me personally. I'm not saying that this is the absolute truth, but to me, there's no heaven or hell. And I need to stop being so obsessed with, or as a Christian, I needed to stop becoming so obsessed with the idea of death and what is afterwards, because mm-hmm. it's like, we need to be focusing on here because this is all we have. We don't know for sure that there's something afterwards and they, you know, faith or religion, they use the idea of this afterlife, this paradise or this place of torture as a fear tactic, like you better, you better choose correctly or you're going to end up in one of these places. Yep. And so it's like, how are you not going to believe? Like, you're like, I, I better believe because I'm, I'm going to be tortured forever. Right. Which to me, the whole idea of hell, and this is my hot take, I guess, pun intended talking about hell, um, is I, is it's a cosmic, that's a cosmic form of abuse. If you think about it like that, like you don't believe in me, that would be like me as a as a dad, as a parent, being like Ava, you know, if you don't follow me this way or you don't believe in this way, then I'm gonna not only just reject you, disown you, but then gonna be you're gonna be tormented for all of the rest of eternity away from me. I'm just like what, and I think being taught that, I was like that is absolutely just. And I said that to people. I'm like, that's just abuse. That's that's cosmic deity abuse. And I then that was the first thing for me to go was the whole concept of hell. But what what I wanted to say when you were just talking about just even like Dave Warnock and his dying out loud. I actually know his friend Marie, or I think it's like his personal helper or producer, like Marie. Um, who's here? Locally. Yeah, I think she helps with his um, with setting up his stuff and his schedule and uh, his social media. Right, right. And I know her. She's actually been on our podcast earlier on. And then our producer Caleb, who used to live here in the cities and now in Seattle, produces her show too. So it's kind of a cool little connection we have there. But what I was going to say is is what you were saying of, of like, and what Dave was also saying of that this is all that there is. This is just this life. This is, don't be afraid of dying. And I think the word that popped into my head was beauty. There's beauty in that though, you know, and and I'm not scared. And I think what, what that 
how I started thinking that way is when my dad died. And I was telling you about this through text of like, my dad died in a church where I was interning and I got mad and angry at God, told him to F off, all this stuff, which was very cathartic for me. But I remember just being like, I had this thought that went through my head as, maybe I'll see my dad one day in heaven, but maybe I won't. And maybe this time when I saw him was the last literal time I saw him. And that didn't give me a, a sense of dread or a sense of longing to see him again. It was just like, oh, like it was kind of just this like moment of like, oh, uh, this sucks. I want to see my dad again, but I can't. I might see him. And it was just this like back and forth of like unknowing. But then I, I still remember obviously people who've lost loved ones. It's like you, you remember their good times that you had with them. You remember just the things that made you happier, what you did. But I, I do think that there's this sense of, of beauty in just living in the present of just being here in the now. And my big critique on Christians, I'm not one of those people who understand it that way, but I think Christians are why they're so obsessed with the afterlife, why they're so obsessed with heaven or hell is they're afraid to live in this life. You know, they're just, they're just afraid to live in this life and they're, uh, they're, they're just wanting so desperately. This life sucks so bad. There's so much evil, whatever that they're desperately longing for the world hereafter. If that exists, and that was something I started deconstructing too. Cause I was like, why can't we just live here in the present moment? You know, why can't we just live wherever you live and just be happy with what we have? And, and I always tell people the two constants and every human has in their life is they're born and then they die. And life is what you make in between it. And I just think so, so many Christians are just obsessed with like, here I am and I just can't wait. And I mean, my grandma was that kind of person. She's like, Brian, I just, I'm just so happy when I die because I get to meet Jesus. And I would look at her as like a 14 year old and be like, that's really gross and morbid. Like you're just telling me your grandson who loves you. I can't wait to die so I can be with Jesus. But yet you're pretty much giving all of us the finger in a way, because you're saying, yeah, I love you. You're important, but I, I would rather be away from you and then be with Jesus. And I'm just like, why can't you just be here in the present moment, living life and try to find beauty in what we have? Yeah, that was something we, oh my gosh, I've heard so many people say that back in my day being involved with the church so many people would say that exact thing that they couldn't wait to be in heaven. They couldn't wait to worship. And I felt that way too. I definitely, I definitely had this idea of like, Oh my gosh, that would be so awesome. I love worship. So I get to do this for all of eternity. But I don't know, for me, it was like a high almost worship was it's, Oh, what's worship like at your church? Is it charismatic and like contemporary? Is there like raising of hands? What and... do you do right now? Yeah. Uh, none of that. Uh, it's literally, I. it's in a bar slash bowling alley. Uh, you walk in, it's, it's kind of like a punk rock kind of a bar. Like everyone there is tatted up. It's in like 
I wouldn't say it's a hipster part of it. It's called Uptown Neighborhood of Minneapolis. But um, I don't know if you know who uh, Jay Baker is. Have you heard the name Jay Baker, if you know who he is? His parents, no. were, his parents were Jim and Tammy Faye Baker um, back in... Wait. Yeah, never mind. That sounds familiar. Well, like his parents were Jim and Tammy Faye. Jay, you know, he wrote a yeah. book, Son of a Preacher Man. Well, the church that I'm doing was... He was in Minneapolis doing revolution and then he went out to seattle for family stuff and so the, him and our friend caleb were the pastors there and so they left and i i had left my ordination track in the united church of christ which is like an uber liberal denomination but i just left that for many reasons and so then i asked if i could just you know take this up because it's something i wanted to do so we don't have any music we don't have any of that um it's literally i come in sit on a bar stool on a stage having a beer and we have breakfast or brunch we just have a conversation and then we talk about it and then we go so we don't have That's pretty cool like i mean i can see why you wouldn't be wanting to tear yourself away from that though right it's not at all the environment that i was in right and so when i tell people i'm a pastor i i, I and I don't even like to call them sermons. I always say talk because I grew up in the church. I have three degrees, you know, from going to school. And so I know all this language and I'm like, I don't even like that language, even though I'm supposed to be comfortable with it. So, and that's like what Jay does too with the revolution out in Seattle is like, he just has a conversation and then people just talk and they, you know, have a conversation. So, yeah. And I mean, like you said, one of the hardest things for you to give up was like prayer and worship. That was the first thing that went for me. <laughs> like I can't even tell you the last time I prayed or like really prayed meaningfully and worship. I've, I've always hated worship because in my head, even as a younger person, I was like, what kind of God demands worship and adoration from their adherence? Like it just, it just felt wrong with me and I would worship music and, I would get that like high. And then, then I went to the UCC, which is a very United Church of Christ, which is like an uber to liberal denomination. And they just do like old school hymns and, you know, spirituals. And those are fine and great. And I liked it for about a year or two. And then I was like, this isn't doing anything for me. So that was the first thing to go for me. So I, if, if I'm still at revolution or do, if I would say this, if I did ministry past revolution, it would literally be me doing something like that in a different context, different city, different bar, or it would be me just sitting around with people hanging out and talking about Jesus and deconstructing everything. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean like what you're doing doesn't sound much different than a UU or just a straight up Unitarian church yeah. or society. I mean, and I've it's actually, not much different. And I've actually had um, people tell me that. Um, I, The United Church of Christ, um, like the seminary, there's a seminary here in the Twin Cities. And actually, it's funny because it's a UCC seminary, but United Methodists go there, and that's also where the UUs go. So I was there. I had to take like two or three classes there after, just for ordination stuff. And it was very interesting, the conversations you would have between Methodists UC Sears and UUs and a lot of us at the end like we would go out for beer we would go out for brunch and 
you know, a Methodist would be really kind of, you know, because it's out of the like a Reformed tradition. And so they were like, we take the Bible mm-hmm. really seriously. We take it not literally. And then like the church I interned in the UCC, their tagline for their church was, we take the we take the Bible seriously, but not literally, which obviously impacted wow. me. And then you see the UU and they're like, yeah, you can be a Christian, an atheist and whatever. So maybe I look back at the, you know, UCC and that helped me maybe even deconstruct or, you know, pull away from kind of organized Christianity, you know, for a big part of it. And I've even told my wife, I was like, I don't think after being hurt in the church as much as I have in the ordination track, because I, I will say I have been hurt with it, is I'm like, I don't ever want to go to a church again in the sense that people think of churches like First Baptist down the road or whatever church. And I was like, yeah, I'll go there for a funeral or like a wedding or something. But as far as like attending and, and going to a church to worship, I said, I don't that's not important to me anymore. And I will let my kids when they get older, make that decision for themselves. But I'm also not going to go with them if they choose to do that. Um, so like I tell people, I'm an enigma when it comes to my faith. Cause I'm like, I like Jesus. I think Jesus is cool and I like him and love him. But everything else that surrounds that, I'm just like, meh, it's not for me. Or mm, I'm going to doubt. I'm going to be skeptical and I'm actually, and I can tell you, actually, it's the most free I've ever felt in my entire life. You know, of just this, like, I don't care what people's interpretations of me are, or if they think I'm off base, or if they think I'm wrong. I'm like, I'm cool with it. I'm comfortable with it. And to me, that's all that matters. That's super awesome. I I don't think I ever, I didn't feel that sense of freedom until I completely let go. Um but that is really cool that you are in an environment where you can kind of make it what you want to make it. Yeah. It, and you don't, you don't have that quote unquote covering of a denomination over you. And, and that's, it's funny because when I left the UCC and I, I will say the cat out of the bag, the main reason why I left was the sheer and utter control that they want. Even for like a mainline mm-hmm. liberal, it was, Oh, you went to a conservative seminary. Oh, you you don't want to quit your job and do these internships. And I'm like, no, that's dumb for me to do that. Like, my wife's a stay-at-home mom. Like, I have a really good job. I'm a union member. You know, all these things. And and when I left, and we actually got a new pastor, and she's really awesome. And she kind of, in a way, was like, I was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm done doing the ordination process. And all that stuff. And then I said, I'm, we want to revoke our membership. And she was like, why? And I was like, just, it's not what we're doing. And she did the typical pastor thing. Well, maybe you should, you know, just keep your membership. Maybe, you know, keep it because what if you want to come back in the UCC in like five years or maybe revolution might die off in 10 years. I hope not, but we, she kind of had that olive branch because she wanted me to like be a part of that. And it was just like, I get off the phone. It was a Zoom call, and my wife and I were like, because there, there are meaningful people there, and a lot of relationships. I was in that process for like six years, but there was a part of me that was just like, I want to let go, and I want to break free from this. I want to break free from the control, and I can. And I think in her eyes, it was like, 
and the people in the church, they were like, you can actually do church. You can actually talk about Jesus without being ordained, without having this denominational authority over you. And I was like, yeah, I can, and I will, and I am, and and I'm okay with it. And, and a lot of people aren't, you know, a lot of people aren't okay or even wanting to do it. And I'm just like, Hey, like I have a passion just to have conversations with people and I don't need to be ordained to do that. I, when I was in high school, I went to a non-denominational church and I mean, I don't know the story behind it, but yeah, obviously it's totally possible. And that is really cool because I mean, gosh, I remember we, got to a point where um well we had to we as pastors when we had to tithe we had to send it into central region because you know we lived out in iowa and so that was that was the region in open bible was central we had to send our tithes there our 10 percent. and then after a while they got sick of people not sending their tithes in some of the pastors yeah. and so they started doing like direct deposit like directly taking it out, out of paychecks and stuff like that is almost it, it was just required that's so bizarre and on top of it i was not a part i was not a part of any like mega church or anything like that I, we were a part of a small humble church and it was i mean starting off you know before the second senior pastor came in it was not a showy church at mm-hmm. all it was like a small quaint church with mostly elderly people um there weren't very many with my age and um it was i mean it it wasn't at all about money or superficial things anything like that and i don't remember where my point was where i was going with that but yeah well i mean i want to be respectful we could keep going but it's we were an hour and 15 minutes in and you're an hour ahead of me, but we could keep going if you want, or if you want to stop, that's totally fine. It's up to you. Um, I'm cool with whatever. I mean, if you have more that you kind of want to get through, uh, I mean, more things that I feel like I said in our text, I feel like we could talk about religion and to God and the Bible and all this stuff because we're, I'm not going to say passionate. Maybe that's the wrong word, but we have a lot of information we can say about it. I would say that. How about this? Would yeah. you, we could probably put a pin in it for this, but then we can always do another episode down the road if you're wanting to do that. Yeah, that would be fun. I think that this has been really fun. I think that, um, I, I think that we do think of things in a very similar way, even though you still kind of hold on to some of those things. And it's nice we can have a really civil conversation, you know, it's there. I'm not really feeling any sort of like tension like I do with some other theists sometimes. Yeah. And I, um, I, and I, and, and I know you didn't mean it in a negative light and I'm not bringing it like that, but I think that's the first time anyone has ever called me a harmless Christian. And so I'm going to, I'm going to stick with it. Um, cause I, I mean, I, th- <laughs> I take that as a compliment is like, I take it as like, hey, she thinks of me not as, as someone who's a non-theist and an atheist, like that, hey, I'm not an asshole. I'm not like one of those Christians who are like, yeah, like, you know, they think they're cool or, you know, loving and respectful, but they're just secretly assholes. And, and, and I feel like being a harmless Christian is like, hey, people can tell, like, I love the Jesus guy, but I'm not pushy. I'm not, 
any of that stuff. So, and like you, you said, I agree that I don't think there's any tension. I don't think there's any, none of us are trying to, you know, pit each other on the other side. It's just having a conversation of kind of where we came from, kind of our views, kind of our ways of deconstruction. And I think that's fruitful. And that's really what Sacred Collective is all about is, you know, it's that tagline, all are welcome, all are heard. And, you know, and I just want to say again, I appreciate your time, your stories, and just, you know, your aspects and insights um, into your life. Yeah, I thought this was a really great conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. And I appreciate you bringing me on here. I I mean, this is only the second podcast I've ever been on. And um, I would have to say, I really enjoyed myself. And I think this conversation was, you know, mind-bending. <laughs> I, I like that. I, will, I, I like that word. Um, yeah, and hopefully we can still connect on Instagram. I'm sure we'll probably have more book recommendations. I'm about to, I will say this, I'm about to dig into um, Ishmael. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited. My husband tried to get me to read that like five years ago. So, I mean, he he's never been a part of the church or anything like that. And he's kind of always been interested in science. He's a chemist now. And, um, and so over the years, he never really knew what to say about some of my thoughts about church and religion. He was just kind of like, you should read this book called Ishmael. And, and then I kind of, I mean, there's a, there's a gorilla in it, but it's, and so I had kind of like read like the first chapter and I was like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm good. I, I've, you know, and then I kept putting it off for about five years. And then uh, he one day he took the book out and he started reading it out loud to me. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, that's really good. And then we started reading it back and forth to each mm-hmm. other and I couldn't get enough of it. And I was like, okay, this is not at all what I thought it was. This is life changing. I've, it goes into so much and it doesn't focus on religion at all, mm-hmm. which is, which would be kind of refreshing and probably maybe, um, I wish I would have read it when I was maybe like a senior in high school or something before I went into master's commission, because it talks about life and the like culture that was formed you know, after the agricultural revolution and the culture that was kind of formed out of that. And um, he refers to two different groups of people, the leavers and the takers, and that the takers are the group of people that, you know, they take from the leavers and they make that other group leave because they have showed up and kind of dominated Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of like, like the Native Americans. Like that whole concept and it's a story being played out time and time and time and time and time again. And this book is just so good. And then there's a second book. The second book has um, the, the main guy that was with the gorilla in the first one. And I know it sounds crazy. It's not necessarily, the story's not necessarily about like a guy and a gorilla. Right. Right. It, it's the, the gorilla is actually the teacher and um, and it is a fiction book, but then the second book goes into the guy. Uh, he starts kind of going on a tour, kind of preaching all of this stuff. And 
the main character in the second book is actually a, a priest or a pastor. And he is going to find this guy that's speaking because they think that he's the Antichrist because of the things that he's talking about. And this is super general, like generalized, but, you know, between the first book and the second book, but the second book, you know, the pastor is going to listen to this guy, but then everything he's saying is starting to make sense. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously that's something I can identify with that. It's like, wow, okay, that makes sense. And what I thought, like, I thought you were bad, but you're not. <laughs> right. So when I, when I start digging into uh, Ishmael, I might have to text you and be like, am I understanding this right? So hopefully I can do that to be, cause I, I'm excited. I, and when I picked it up, I was like, I was like, I need to thank her for the recommendation, but I'm like, I'm probably going to have to, cause you're the only person that I know that I, in my orbit that has read that and I might be like, am I reading this right? Are, are these insights right? I don't know. So. Um, yeah, you'll be, you'll be blown away. It's so good. I, I like will literally recommend it to everyone now because after I read it, I was like, it totally makes sense. Why you told me the last five years to read this book. <laughs> right. Um, I guess, um, before we close, if, is there any plugs, um, that you want? This is like, any of your social medias, if any, if you want to have anybody find you or like you talked about the clergy project, just like your time to just plug anything you want to plug. Oh, um, well, I'm not really super out there socially or anything. I actually just joined Facebook a year ago um, <laughs> after I'd kind of been in the dark for about seven years. So, I mean, I do have a Facebook. I, uh, Ashley Flieger. Um, I don't know if you'll put my name on here or anything like that, but, um, like type it out on anywhere, but Ashley Flieger, last name is P as in Paul, F as in Frank, L I E G E R. Um, I do have an Instagram. I don't really go on it, but it's a Flieger. Is it a Flieger or a Flieger 85? Check both. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, other than that, that's like, that's literally all I have. I don't really go on social media a whole lot. That's, that's but I am, I am out there. I do have a Facebook. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, uh, thanks again for this conversation. I'm sure we'll stay in contact because, uh, like I said, we're both like-minded in a lot of ways, and I might have questions about this book. So, um, thanks again. Um, have a great night. I will text you when this comes out, and thanks again, and um, thanks for all the work you do and just having these conversations. It's It's really been insightful, and I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. You too. It was really good talking to you. I really like the way that you think and like what you're doing. Your church sounds really cool. And you seem like you, you know, it's refreshing to talk to a believer that thinks thinks of things in the world in such a positive, good way. It's kind of refreshing. It's been a while since I've talked to a Christian that I am like, wow, that's actually a really good person. All right. Well, thank you for the kind words. Um, Have a good night and we'll talk to you later. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for being part of our conversation. To continue the conversation, find us on social media at sacred MN.